All right, this morning we're going to start a new series, and it might be a little odd series because um, we're going to have some other speakers as well besides myself. We'll have Barb again, and we're going to look at some other people as well until um, our next pastor gets here. And so, um, but anytime that I'm speaking, I'm going to be on this series side by side. And the premise of this series is looking at relationship and looking at how biblically, scripturally, we are to do relationship both together with the world, everything, um, and everything in between. So this morning, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there this morning, um, or your phones or your tablets. If not, it will be up on the screen. I had a pastor call it the Sky Bible. I like that. It'll be up on the Sky Bible for you. Um, So uh, I am... It's, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this is where Jesus took his, it says he saw the crowds and then he took his disciples and he went to a mountain, hence the Sermon on the Mount, and he began to teach them all sorts of things. And this is where, if you're familiar with scripture, uh, this is where you find what are called the Beatitudes, which is a really fancy way of saying how to be blessed. So it says, blessed are, and then it says, What is blessed and why? So it says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. So that's found all within the Sermon on the Mount. Also, on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find Jesus saying lots of things where it says, You've heard it said, but I say. You've been taught, but I say. And it's a really interesting thing because we, a lot of us New Testament believers, New Covenant believers, we look on the Old Covenant and we think, oh my word, that's so many laws and that's so many things and it would be so hard to do. And Jesus goes, oh, if you think that's hard, that's what, they, that's what you've been taught. I'm actually going to up at a level. You've been taught don't murder. I actually tell you don't ever really you know, be angry to the point that you say mean things to people. Oh, you've been taught you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, it's about your heart. And so Jesus ups the ante. This is also where just recently I talked about us being salt and light in the world on a Sunday morning. That's found in the Sermon on the Mount as well. So we're going to look at two verses here in the Sermon on the Mount and then connect that to some Old Testament verses as well. So if you are ready, here we go. Jesus says to his disciples and his followers, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. That's going to be our key point today. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then, come and offer your gift. So the Israelite man, because it was always the men in, in Israel, they brought the offering And this offering, they made offerings and sacrifices every day in the temple. Um, And then there's also times that during all the big festivals, all the Israelite people would come to Jerusalem and they would give offerings. So we don't know exactly when Jesus gave this, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we don't know if he was talking about a daily thing that was going on in the... uh, in the temple, or if it was everybody was there. But either way, the statement here causes all sorts of problems. Because just so you understand, it was a line, okay? And you always brought your animal with you, or you bought it in the courtyard, and so you had all the animals with you in line, okay? Now, this isn't like a 4-H thing where these are like probably nicely well-trained and have learned how to stand in line. This was some wild animals, okay? And so... 
then also, I don't know about you, but if I'm an animal and I know that no animal goes into that building and ever comes out, I'm having some issues, okay? I'm going to let you all know if I'm a goat and I've seen all my goat friends go into the temple and not a single one of my goat friends come out. I know there's some shady business going on in there. So I'm going to let you guys know. I'm going to be doing some things. I'm going to be kicking. I'm going to be biting. I'm going to try and get my way out of there. And so Jesus is saying, when you're in your line and it's finally your turn, okay? Now, let's say that Jesus is talking about one of the festivals like Passover, where all of the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Let's say it's at that time. Truth be told, in the research I've done, you would probably spend the majority of a day in that line. Okay? The only thing I can connect this to is imagine spending the majority of your day in the line at the DMV. That's the best we got. Okay? Someone's like, oh, exactly, I know. If you work for the DMV, we're not mad at you. We're just mad at everything about where you work. We love you, but whew. So imagine, okay, so if, you, if, you, if you've done the one here in Harrisonville, okay? It's there in the mall. So imagine like the line goes out into the parking lot and goes like all the way down the road to McDonald's. Okay? You got your goat. Take one step. Sacrifice, sacrifice. You take another step. You do that for the majority of the day. Now Jesus is saying when it's finally your turn, if you realize that someone's got something against you, I want you to tie your little animal there. Go make it right. Now, the other thing I read, you don't get to come back and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I had to go make things right. This is my spot. No, you went back to McDonald's and stood in the line again until you got to the place of sacrifice. Now, the other issue is most people didn't live in Jerusalem. Most of the people who were sacrificing there didn't live in Jerusalem. And so we know for a fact that where Jesus spoke this message was 80 miles from Jerusalem. So let's play this game. So let's say it's an easier day. It's just a two-hour wait. No big deal. Okay? You have a two-hour wait. You get there to offer your sacrifice, and God reminds you that someone's got something against you. You're supposed to tie your animal there, travel the 80 miles back home, because generally where you offended someone is going to be where you live. Travel the 80 miles back home, make things right, which was generally a three-day trip there. And then a th- no, sorry, three-day round trip. So a three-day round trip there and back to then make your sacrifice. This is nuts. This is an absolute nut statement for Jesus to make. And his disciples would have realized, like, no, 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 wait, this, this is not okay. This is not right. Because what I'm doing here is I'm offering a sacrifice to God to make sure that my vertical relationship with God is a-okay. And I've come to the place where I've brought my animal. I wait in the line. The priest approaches to receive my gift. I hand my gift over the rail that separates me from uh, the court of the priest's. The priest would take the sacrifice, place them on the altar, give the sacrifice. And then in this solemn moment, this is what we have to realize, in this solemn moment where this man is about to cast himself onto God's mercy and ask forgiveness, God says, no, you will not. No, 
In fact, he's almost saying, I don't want your sacrifice if you're not right horizontally with relationships. It's really interesting. It's really interesting that he says here, don't offer me sacrifices if you've got a brother who's offended at you. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that we need to come in here every single morning, every single Sunday morning, before we give our tithe, before we worship, and think, who have I offended this week? Because if you're like me, that list gets longer every day, and so you, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we have to clean ourselves up before we can worship. I'm not saying that we have to make sure everything and every relationship is exactly right every single time before we come in here and worship or give our offering or take communion. Because it says the word, when you remember. Because what this is talking about is being led by the Holy Spirit of God. The comforter, the counselor, the one who lives inside of you. And when that Holy Spirit reminds you, this person is not okay with you. And that's where it's really interesting because we're not talking about when you've got something against someone else. That's Mark 11. We'll talk about that another week. This is when someone's got something against you. Now, I know, I know all of you, I know all of you are like, Pastor Brian, please, okay? I understand. There are times that I need to forgive people, but come on. When would anyone ever need to forgive me? Like, that's just, that's, I understand, because you're better Christians than I am, and that's, I understand. But there is going to come a time, if it hasn't happened yet, where you will offend someone. Now, also, let me say another little caveat. This is not talking about if you post a verse online and someone goes, ah, I hate Christians. You don't have to go reconcile that, Okay? Because Jesus said, you'll be persecuted for my name's sake. The struggle is, if I can be honest, most of us are not being persecuted for his name's sake. We're being persecuted for our own name's sake. Or for our own ideas, or our own agendas, or our own things. Okay? This is not, I'm not saying like, well, the, well Brian, if the world is going to hate me, yes, exactly. But it should hate you only because you believe in Jesus, not because you're a jerk. Can I say that? Is that okay? Not because you're rude or because you're unloving. Because that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus commands us to do. If you post a verse that's just filled with hate with no context, you're not being persecuted for his name's sake. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk. And you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. You can't say anything nice. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself because this week I had to do this. I tell you guys all the time, I am totally fine with a certain level of hypocrisy in my life. We all are, okay? We are all fine with a certain level of hypocrisy we all walk around. I'm not okay with coming in here and preaching to you, you should do this, but I'm not going to. So this week I reached out to some people that I know I have offended with some things. Okay? Okay? Did I like it? Absolutely not. Here's the other phone one. Did I think I was wrong? Absolutely not. Were they offended? Absolutely. So according to this, before I offer my worship this morning, I had to make it right. I had to be reconciled because that's the next step. It says go and be reconciled. When your brother has something against you, 
You have to go and be reconciled. You don't, you don't reason why. You don't say they overreacted or they misunderstood or they're too sensitive. Oh, that's my favorite one. If people would just stop being so sensitive and be offended by everything, then stop being offensive. Like most times people are not being offended just for the sake of being offended. They're being offended because you were offensive. Okay? And here's the deal. Even if they're too sensitive, the Bible kind of doesn't care. It doesn't. The Bible kind of doesn't care. It says if your brother has something against you, go fix it. Well, he was wrong. Irrelevant. There's no out in this verse. Jesus says in front of his disciples, if you are about to offer your sacrifice and your brother has something against you, go make it right. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your worship. Go make it right. Be reconciled has two steps. One, confession. You confess that what you did offended them. I'm sorry that you were hurt by what I said. And then you take steps to make it right. Two steps. Confession and steps to make it right. But here's the real struggle that all of us have with confession. Got to get your butt out of the way. I'm sorry, but. You ain't sorry. That's not an apology. That's an explanation. Jesus does not say, go and explain your stance to your brother so that he knows where you're coming from. He doesn't say, go and make sure that they understand the background of what you're trying to say. No, it's just go and be reconciled. Go make it right. But, Brian, but, 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 get your butt out of the way. No one needs it. Also works with I love you. Talking to someone, this is the one I, I harp on all the time because it's the one I see so much in the church. Talking to someone who is in the homosexual community. You know, I love you, but... Well, now all I've heard is but. Everything before the but is squashed when you add but and then more explanation. I was wrong, but I'm sorry, but. He says, go and be reconciled. And here we see that Jesus is making this really almost ridiculous, seems blasphemous, heretic kind of statement. Where he's making it appear that the horizontal relationships, the person-to-person relationships, are more important in this moment than the vertical relationship. And it only sounds blasphemous because we don't completely understand our relationship with us and God. Okay? Because this is speaking to believers. The world is not expected to do this, just so you know. Okay? Okay? Do not ever expect a non-believer to come and apologize for what they've said. They have no grounds to do that. But we as believers should every time we offend someone. Before we worship the next time, we should go make it right. When, we, when God reminds us that someone is offended at something we have done or something we have said or an action we have taken, we should go and be reconciled because what we have to understand, essentially God is saying to us, When we look at Romans 8, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. The vertical relationship is always going to be fine. If you think that you can outsend God's love, you don't understand the God of the new covenant. You don't understand the God of Scripture. 
If you think that he is disappointed in you, that his face is a frown or a judgment or a disappointed face looking at you, you're looking at the wrong God. God has put on the glasses that filter everything through the blood of his son Jesus, and all he sees is the righteous, perfect blood of his son when he looks at you. So what he's saying is don't come in here and think you've got to worship to make things right between you and God. You and God are already all right. He's not going anywhere, but the people next to you might. If we continue to wrong people and never make it right, that relationship can be broken pretty quickly. Now this is not something new. Jesus is not making up this new theology that's never been heard of before. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to these. 1 Samuel 15. If you're someone who underlines and highlights, puts stars next to stuff, do that with these verses to remind yourself that God cares so much about relationship. And here's why. Someone came to Jesus one time and said, Jesus, what's the... What's the, in all the commands, what's the greatest one? What's the most important one? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. It's not second in sequential order. It's second in his thought process. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the greatest expression of God's love on earth is his people loving others. Relationships matter to God. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Samuel is saying here that it's better to listen and obey to what God has commanded you to do than to make sacrifices. It was always better just to follow the laws of the Old Testament covenant than to have to make sacrifices. That's always the goal. Now, the New Testament law, the New Covenant law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or John 13, 34, and 35, when Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give to you, a new command, love one another as I have loved you. Those are the two New Testament imperatives that we are to follow. It is always better to follow those than to come in here and feel like you have to Give God praise and glory and honor to make yourselves right with him again because that's a false understanding of New Testament theology. You are right with him. Go make it right with your neighbor. I'm going to look at a couple in Isaiah. Isaiah 1. This one's a little bit longer. It takes up a lot of slides. Isaiah 1. In each one of these, it seems like God gets progressively more uh, aggressive in his statements. Isaiah 1. I still hear some paper turning. Again, I don't hear that very often in youth groups, so thank you adults for the turning of the pages. It's a blessed sound in the ear of a pastor. Here we go. What to me is your multitude of sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, 
Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That's the blood of other people. He's not talking about sacrifices there. He's talking and saying your hands are covered in the blood of other people. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Stop coming in here and having all sorts. This is what he's saying. Stop coming and having all sorts of religious meetings and thinking that you're making me happy. Go and treat people correctly. That's what he's saying. That's absolutely what he's saying is because he said you bring these convocations and, and these new moons. And so what they were doing is they were creating all these different meetings and all these different religious ceremonies and all these different religious services, but they were not doing to people what God has asked them to do. And he said, I don't want your offerings anymore. I don't want your sacrifices anymore. You are giving them as just this, this religious activity. Your religious activity should stop being sacrificed and should start be treating people the way that I want you to treat people. Isaiah 66. Because this is not, I want, this, the reason I'm going through all of these is because I don't want you to think that Jesus was creating some new theology. That he was asking you to do something that hasn't been asked of all of God's people from the beginning of God's people. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The message translation says, but there is something I'm looking for, a person simple and plain, reverently responsive to what I say. He's saying, stop trying to build amazing things for me and start doing what I've asked you to do. I love this. I love the practicality of Jesus here. I mean, of God here. That's God, Jesus, same thing. But Jesus hadn't been on the scene yet. What God is saying here is stop trying to build me all these beautiful, ornate things and stop trying to impress me with what you can accomplish. Start impressing me by doing what I've asked you to do. Under the book of Psalms, 51. We have two more sets of verses, and then we'll move on, I promise. Psalm 51. This is a Psalm of David. A man after God's own heart. David wrote about, if I remember correctly, about half of the Psalms, maybe a little more. And he says here in Psalm 51. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased by a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a bo broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. 
Message translation, a heart shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. You don't want my sacrifices, you want my heart. You don't want the things I do, you want my heart. Because when our heart is right, when it's set, when our heart is set on God and our heart is connected with God, it becomes so much easier to love everyone around us. And we've all, we all know this. We all know this absolutely that the moments in our life where we feel most connected to God, all of a sudden, the, like, the little things about our spouse that used to like at us, they don't bother us nearly as much. And those times where we're not totally close to God, those get really, really loud. Same with our kids. I'm so much more patient with my kids when I'm connected to God. Now, again, he doesn't go anywhere. I do. Last one, Micah 6. So you have the major and minor prophets. Mike is considered a minor prophet, not because of his importance, but because it's shorter. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were very long. Micah, not so much. Quick with his words. I heard a joke recently that you definitely know that Isaiah and Jeremiah were Baptist preachers. Yep. If you've ever been to a Baptist church, you know. You know, I went to a Baptist college. I can make fun of Baptists. It's okay. I always remember we had a, as we turned in there, we had a chapel every, I think it was every Monday and Wednesday. Yeah, my other SBU alumni shaking your head. Yes, it was Monday and Wednesday. I remember like any time they had a, like a full-fledged Baptist pastor, like it was a 50-minute thing. Like they always struggled to get their messages done in under 50 minutes. It was hilarious. And they'd bring in like this young guy from some other denomination and like we're out in 30 minutes. I'm like, yes, love that guy. Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? I love that question. This is a solid question we should all be asking. With what should I come before the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, a thou- with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We're catching a pattern here. Every single one of these is about relationships with people. It's about relationships with individuals and people. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be passionate, be compassionate and loyal in your love. And I love this. Don't take yourself too seriously, but take God very seriously. Whoever are the writers of the message translation, I absolutely love sometimes their ability to turn a phrase in here when it says, and walk humbly with your God. Don't take yourself too seriously, but go ahead and take God real serious. And we take God real serious in all sorts of different ways. And this is what um, kind of, confuses my brain sometimes. We take God very seriously in all sorts of different places, but the place that we probably don't take him seriously enough is on the two New Testament imperatives. Love Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, God, who is my neighbor? Well, he tells you a story about that, which we'll give a whole other message on in the next few weeks. But essentially, he says, anyone you come in contact with, 
That's your neighbor. Love everyone that you come in contact with, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength in the same way you love God, in the same way you love yourself. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We don't take that one very seriously. Because all of us this week can think of ways that we have spoken to people that if they spoke that to us, we'd want to throat punch them. Do you know how I know that? Because you're human. It's what we do. This new commandment I give to you. This new commandment. Brand new. Ready, guys? I just washed your feet. I just showed you what it means to humbly serve and love you. Yes, the God of the universe put on flesh and bone, and that was enough. He decided to kneel and prostrate himself and wash the dirty, disgusting feet of his followers. And then he goes, new thing. I want you to love everyone as I just loved you. Don't neglect the gathering of people. We take that one real seriously. Don't neglect the gathering as some have. We take that one incredibly seriously. In fact, there's churches in our area that are suing the government because you said you can't do that. We take that one real seriously. But humbly loving those around us, that Jesus said, from his own mouth, a new commandment I give to you, we don't take that one nearly as seriously. And to love them as I have loved you with an unconditional, grace-filled, mercy-filled, grace-first experience... We don't do that well. And I say we. I have not said you. Did you hear me? I have said we. Because I'm part of all of this. I'm part of the problem. That I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong things. My favorite is you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. That's what we do. We put the wrong emphasis in the wrong place. We make the mountains molehills and the molehills mountains. And God's up there going, I did not tell you to do that. In fact, I made it really simple. I did. I broke it all down. You know, all those Old Testament things? <whistles> love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's all I want you to do. That's it. Everything else falls underneath those two. Well, what about this? Is it loving? Is it kind? Is it grace-filled? Is it merciful? Is it judgmental? Don't do that. What we forget is this is both individual and corporate. Because one of the things that we do really well, and I do it so often, it's like my first question that I ask. And, and it's something that I'm actually taught in seminary, but I think sometimes we put way too much emphasis on it. Who is, who is he speaking to and, and who is he speaking about? Because the translation in Matthew 5 says, if your brother has anything against you, immediately, if you've been in church context for any length of time, you start going, well, that only means... If another believer has something against me, then I need to figure that out, okay? I need to go and make that right. I need to go and reconcile with my brother in Christ if he's got something against me before I worship. Now, that is an accurate interpretation of that, okay? I actually reached out to my first seminary professor who was part of the last NIV translation. She was part of the Greek New Testament translation team. So I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to reach out to someone who knows a bazillion times more than me about this and find out, is what I'm thinking anywhere close? Because I'm just like you. Sometimes I can think the wrong things about Scripture, so I check this out. And she told me that, yes, that is the most accurate phrase that can be placed there as brothers, based on the context of what Jesus is saying. But she assured me that it was not a stretch whatsoever based on the word that Jesus used there in the Greek to mean that this word brother could mean mankind. 
It is not a stretch. It is not a misinterpretation of Scripture. If they would have said, if any human being alive, if you have offended, go make it right before you come to worship. She goes, that would not have been a false interpretation. So my next question was, is this for individuals only or is it for churches? And she said it absolutely could be corporate. It is not a stretch of what the word of God is saying to say that this is a corporate message as well. That if we, as a body of believers, recognize that we have offended people, we have offended groups of people, we have hurt people with our statements and our actions. And again, I'm not saying that we've hurt people because we took a biblical stance. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? I need to make that very clear. There are going to be times that we hurt people because we stand on the truth of Scripture. It's not at all what I'm talking about. But there's a way to stand on the truth of Scripture and still love and accept a human being for who they are, made in the image of God. Because I tell you guys all the time, I tell the students all the time, there's only two groups of people in the world. It's not Republican, Democrat. I'm sorry. It's two groups of people in the world. Those who are made in the image of God and those who have said yes to Jesus and are his family. Sons and daughters of God. Made in the image of God or sons and daughters of God. Every single person you come into contact with bears the image of the God that you say you love. I don't care what their sin issue is, we've got to stop treating them poorly. Individually and corporately. In our world today, we are so quick to snap off judgmental statements of people who disagree with our thinking. And that's what I was guilty of. And that's what I repented to of this week. I'm passionate about this because I see it in my life. I see it as one of those dark corners in my heart that I talk about all the time that we're not really happy to bring out, but I wanted to confess in front of all of you because I don't know if those statements offended anyone in this room. So here, let me bring out this dark spot and say before you, if something that I said about race relations in the recent past has offended you or hurt you, I am very sorry. I'm taking time to look at everyone. I'm very sorry. Online. I'm sorry. Again, this is where it's interesting. Did I think my statement was wrong? No. But if it hurt people, that's all that matters. Because Jesus says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, Take that really inconvenient trip and go make it right. Acknowledge your fault and take steps to make it right. That's individual. Church-wide, corporate. If we as a group recognize there's this group of people over here that think or act or behave or sin in this fashion and we've treated them really poorly over the last, how long have we been in church? 51 years? Long time. Over the last long time we've been in church. We have to humbly repent of that. Because I've heard this verse quoted a lot over the last few weeks. 
if my people who are called by my name will pray. That's always where it goes. I've, yeah, I'm, I'm being honest. I've heard this multiple times from multiple different areas. If my people who are called by my name will pray, there's a giant space missing in the middle. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Will humble themselves to say, my actions were wrong. And what's the measuring stick of if they're wrong in this verse? This one drives me nuts. <laughs> this is the measuring stick. Did it offend someone else? Did it hurt them? That's the measuring stick. Not was it right? Not was it accurate? Did it cause them to have something against you? And if it did, I was wrong. It's that simple. Fun fact, I don't like it any more than any of you right now who are thinking about all the things and all the people that you're like, oh my gosh, here's the people I'm going to have to go to and here's the things I have to say and I don't want to do any of it. Neither did I. This is, humbling yourself is like the least fun thing I can think of. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Don't ever begin to ask God to heal our land if we're not ready to humble ourselves first. Let's pray. Gotta, gotta be honest, I didn't like this message. I don't like it at all. But God, you asked me to give it because I was guilty of it too. God, I pray that we can be a church, we can be a people that first and foremost humbles themselves before God and then immediately humbles ourselves before others. God, right now, I pray a prayer that no one's going to appreciate that I pray, but that you bring to our minds people who have something against us right now. God, and then you, ask, you give us the ability to humble ourselves and go and ask forgiveness today. God, before we eat lunch, before we say a prayer, before our lunch meal, may we get out our phone, and even if it's text, who cares? Admit our fault, admit our wrong. Because God, you care so much about the relationships between people. They are vitally important to you. God, again, I'll say it again. If anything I said was for me and my imagination, let it be white from everyone's brain right now. But God, everything that's truth, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.